that was a long passage and uh, full of just uh, things that we think about a lot. High priest, Melchizedek, um, you know, some mysterious stuff, some references that hopefully we're going to dive into and try to understand what the writer of Hebrews is uh, saying to not only the original hearers, but then how this applies to us. We don't think about high priests a lot. We've talked about this some as we've gone through Hebrews, but this is not something on our mind. The original readers would have known well the book of Leviticus and the law as it was set up. And I think it will be helpful for us to understand some of these things. But we do find uh, maybe it's most helpful to see the the role of the priest, whether it be Melchizedek, who is described as a, a priest of God or the high priest or then even Jesus as this one who who intercedes for us. Um, and, and we have some picture of this uh, just in, in life, people who intercede in much less important or significant ways. Um, some of you may have seen the, the documentary about Michael Scott uh, in the, the show called The Office. Um, and uh, he makes a career change at some point. He leaves his paper company, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, to start Michael Scott Paper Company. And uh, some other people go with him. And then because uh, of some things that happen as a result of it not being real, they can make some things up and they get some leverage to be bought out and come back to Dunder Mifflin and get their old jobs back. Pam is one who has gone with him, uh, probably a really bad decision, but again, since it's not real, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and she was the receptionist at Dunder Mifflin, but she did a lot more at the Michael Scott Paper Company and she wants to be a, a salesperson. And... Uh, Michael, actually, because he has leverage, again, it's not real, he has leverage uh, with David Wallace, the big boss, he is able to say, we're coming back, but I want Pam to be uh, a salesperson, right? So I want her uh, to be, uh, have a much different job. He essentially goes to David Wallace and he intercedes for her and is able to get her this better position and it, it changes her trajectory for the rest of the show. Uh, right. That, uh, now, to be clear, I'm, I'm not putting Michael Scott as uh, the Jesus character here, uh, but a, a little bit of comparison to the priests uh, of interceding for and accomplishing something uh, before uh, someone else uh, for the person that they're representing, they're interceding for. Uh, that, that can give us some context of understanding the high priest as we jump into uh, three points. Surprise. Uh, why high priests? Why does this matter? Why is this such a big deal? And we need to understand what the original hearers of this, uh, what many call a sermon letter, uh, would have understood and why this mattered to them. So why the high priest? And then why is Melchizedek better? Uh, and what is going on with Melchizedek? And, uh, and then why Jesus is, is better still? The, 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 the theme throughout uh, the book of Hebrews has been that Jesus is better. And we actually find that language uh, a couple of times uh, in here. There is a better covenant in verse 22. And there is, um, uh, oh, I just lost it. Better is mentioned twice here, right? Uh, and Jesus is better. And that's where we continue to head in the book of Hebrews. So let me pray for us as, as we dive in. Lord, Give us uh, wisdom to understand things that are on some level complicated. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts 
to allow us just to embrace the fact that Jesus is better. That we would see that even through this mysterious character of Melchizedek. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are a number of references here and assumptions made about the Levitical priesthood. And, uh, and we, we need to just as a like, quick reminder, uh, Abraham, who is also uh, referenced here in this passage because of his connection to Melchizedek, is the father of the faith. I mean, he's like, he's the guy, right? Uh, he was the one who God first called, who was going to be the father to the, the people of God for generations to come, that they would be a blessing to the entire world. So it all starts with uh, Abraham, right? He is a, a big deal. That, that is uh, putting it lightly. And uh, so Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. That's the 12 tribes of Israel. And they all get land, and that's how they provide for themselves, except for the Levites. And the Levites don't get land. They are the priests. So that they help enact the, what is called the Levitical priesthood and the law that allows a sinful, broken people to enter into relationship with a holy and right and perfect God. And as we looked at Leviticus a number of years ago, it's all about God wanting relationship with his people. And, and the name for God throughout the Old Testament is Yahweh. And this is personal name for God. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the priesthood was set up for that to be able to happen. There was no atonement. That is forgiveness of sin. There was no justification being declared right so that people could have a relationship with God apart from the priests and particularly the high priests. They would offer sacrifices. Even daily, we see in, in verse 27, there's a reference to them offering sacrifices daily. But then we also know from Leviticus 16 that there was the day of atonement where they would go into the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies. That is the place that most represented the presence of God. And they would offer sacrifice for atonement, for the forgiveness of sins of all of the people, for themselves as well, because the high priests were sinful, but also for all the people, so that people of God can have a relationship with our creator, with the one who made all things. And the priests made this happen. And we see even the idea of Jesus, verse 25, interceding continually for us is, is a, a picture of even a better, better interceding than the, the priest did. And they interceded on behalf of the people before God to allow them to have relationship with the Lord. And it happened because of the law that we see this reference a few times, verse 5, 11, 13, uh, verse 28. The Levitical priesthood happened by the law that was set up that put this tribe in this position so that the priests would come as descendants of Levi. So the priests were simply designated because they descended from Levi. They were part of that tribe. And we see that there is something different happening with both Melchizedek and Jesus. It's not by the law. Later we'll see it's by the oath. But we need to understand what it means to say that it's by the law. The high priest, the law was put in place again so that God could have relationship with his people. He, he, he needed to bridge this gap between himself and his holiness and perfection and their sin. Um, and there is this reality. He puts this all in place so that we can have relationship with him, so that we can be Justified Again, there's a number of ways that we could talk about it, a number of different words that we could use, that we would be justified or declared right or forgiven of our sins 
or experience atonement. All of that description necessary in order to have relationship with God. And this was, for the people of God, this was their goal. This was their telos, their end. This was the thing that mattered more than anything else, was to, to, for justification to happen in this particular justification, to be, for them to have meaning, purpose, for them to, to believe that they had value. All of that came in relationship with their creator. And the story is from the very beginning that that's how God created us. That that is our most pressing need, that that should be our goal uh, as well. And, and we see that as this is set up, there is a recognition that it, it's pointing to something else. It's not quite enough. Verse 11 notes, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? So he's saying this priesthood is important and it matters, but it wasn't enough. It didn't accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. And so people continue to find themselves in need of an intercessor. They, need, they find themselves in need of justification, of meaning or purpose in life. And the reality is, if we're followers of Jesus, we have some understanding of our need for this. And, uh, and this being the goal in which we would head. But really, everybody, uh, in different ways, seeks justification. Now, there might be a different standard that is set, uh, but we, we all want to be justified in who we are and what we do, how we live our lives. We, we all want meaning and purpose. We all want to be accepted, and we find it in different ways. Maybe it's in seeking the acceptance of others. That, that could be like a particular group of people that we're seeking acceptance from. It could be a small number of people. It could be our parents or particular friends. Or it could be a whole group of people. So the more likes that we get on social media gives us a sense of being justified. Or we have somebody in our mind. Often it's somebody, just thinking about the, the social media aspect, there are um, all kinds of pundits or thought leaders or writers or authors that, that we have in mind. is like, if, if, if I live in a way that I think would fit with what they've taught, then I'm going to feel good or justified about who I am and the way in which I'm living. Maybe it's our, our, our therapist. That they're, they're going, we're going to live in light of the things that they've uh, taught us um, about living in life in, in, in a healthy way. And to be clear, any one of these things, except maybe like a striving for a lot of likes, uh, any one of these things could be described as, as good. There, there are people who are writers and uh, if you want to use the language of thought leaders, there are therapists. Like, we value all of these things. These things are, are really good, but none of them offer real justification. None of them offer real meaning and purpose and end in life. And they certainly don't allow us to be in relationship. They don't give us the avenue to be in relationship with our creator, with the father, with Yahweh, who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and maybe it's not other people. Actually, today, if it's not other people, it's ourselves. We're seeking to justify ourselves by whatever standard that we set up. And we live in this, this culture that says, you define yourself. And, and this is it's a, it's a really tall order, right? With essentially uh, no boundaries, you decide who you are, what your identity is, and you be true to you and you live in light of it. 
and, and, and kind of don't get it wrong, right? Like, uh, don't, don't be influenced by the wrong people. I mean, even as it's, there's, there's like, there's no boundaries to be who you are. There are totally boundaries, right? There's lots of expectations. You can't fall into these categories or these categories. And it puts all kinds of pressure on us to, to figure out exactly who we are and then live in light of that. And that is the way that we find justification. And what we find throughout scripture is that we cannot find it in ourselves. Uh, as we have confession of sin, as we, we look at what is the truth of scripture, this brokenness comes from within us. And the confession of sin that we have each week is that recognition. There is a brokenness within me. And yet, even with that being the case, God loves me deeply and embraces me and offers his forgiveness. But it gives this picture that we're actually not able to save ourselves, to justify ourselves, uh, to put ourselves in a position of earning God's favor, certainly not something that's on the table. We need something outside of us. And for so many years, it was the priest's. They were a part of God's plan. We do need to step into that reality that we can't do it ourselves. That we need something outside of ourselves. The recognition of a need for a high priest was something real and good. Now, for us, as we think about uh, what our temptations might be, it's not going to be to turn to high priest. I'm guessing that there might not be anybody in the room who is... Uh, tempted to turn back to the idea of high priests uh, or priests in any kind of way. But we're tempted to turn to all kinds of other things. And in light of that, we see this pushing toward Jesus. So there is this, the, the high priest, if perfection had been attainable, verse 11, then there wouldn't have been a need for another one. But another one did come, and it's explained through this character of Melchizedek. Why Melchizedek? Why is he better than the high priest? Why is Jesus as high priest compared to Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? And uh, so I, I intentionally don't want to have a particularly long sermon, but I'll, I'll try to give some brief explanation of who he is. You, you might have noticed already he's been mentioned three times in Hebrews, and maybe you thought, what, what, what is that about? Uh, the order of Melchizedek. And uh, now we're going to ex- explain it all. We're going to get all the answers of Melchizedek, right? So he, he exists, uh, we, we see him in Genesis chapter 14, uh, verses 17 through 28. And he's really only, it's a, it's a story, pretty brief story, those eight verses, but he's actually really only in the middle three verses. So he is not a prominent character, but it's obviously a big deal. So Genesis 14 it's Abram, actually before he even becomes Abraham, uh, Abram has entered into battle uh, against a, a very large army, actually four different armies, and he has rescued Lot with his 318 men, and he's returning, and he meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and he meets uh, the king of Sodom, and they have this interaction. And, uh, and what happens is, in that moment, Abram is blessed by Melchizedek and tithes to him. So the way that the Levites, and set up through the law because they didn't have their own land, the tithes went to the Levites so that they could do their priestly work, right? So all the people of God were required to give a tenth of all they had. That went to the Levites, and it was this this position of blessing them to do God's work. And here we have, even before Abram has any kids, much less the Levites exist, We have Melchizedek, who is described as a priest of the Most High God, and he blesses Abram, 
and Abram tithes to him. And this is a big deal because this would have been like a, a little bit mind-blowing because the writer here recognizes that that indicates that Melchizedek is the greater than Abram, the father of the faith. The father of faith, he's, he's the guy, right? It all starts with him. God calls him out of Ur to go and to be the father of all the nations. And, and the picture here that we find is that Melchizedek is, is better than him. Um, Melchizedek is again referred to after those few verses in Psalm 110, verse 4, when David says, there's going to be one to come in the order of Melchizedek, a priest forever. It's a promise of something to come, but it points back to Melchizedek. What, what's going on there? And we find the greatest explanation, or at least the largest explanation of Melchizedek here in these verses, particularly in the first 10. We note, the writer notes that Melchizedek, his name means the king of righteousness. And if we talked about last week, that doesn't mean just like morally good, though it does mean that. It's a God of justice. Righteousness means justice, things right. He's also the king of Salem, which is peace, the God of peace. So he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He uh, is noted as a high priest uh, in Genesis 14. Uh, It's noted that he is greater than Abraham because he blesses Abraham. Verse 7 notes that that makes him superior. It is beyond dispute that the inferior, inferior is blessed by the superior. The fact that he gave tithes is this, even before the Levitical priesthood and the law is set up, this happens. And it's mysterious, for sure. But it, it is a big, I think it's just side note, I'll give this little tangent. I think it's interesting to note, verse 9 and 10 says, one might even say that Levi himself, who is a great grandson of Abram, you know, not there yet, that he himself uh, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This is a, a, a kind of a shocking corporate picture of God working among his people in our individuals. Just a little side note. God cares deeply about the corporate nature of the people of God. Uh, but it's also this picture of how great uh, Melchizedek is. Um, the biggest piece that I think that we get Uh, that is mentioned in multiple arguments here in chapter 7 of Hebrews, but also is alluded to in David's account of Melchizedek in Psalm 110, is that he's a priest forever. He is, in some sense, eternal. As we look at verse 3, it's confusing, right? He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. And um, he is resembling the Son of God. It doesn't say that he is the Son of God. So some question is, is this actually Jesus showing up uh, in Genesis 14? Uh, He resembles the Son of God. But the picture here of him not having father or mother or having an account of his death is actually, it's a big deal in Genesis because anybody who's anybody in Genesis has a genealogy. And, and, And the picture is here, what is communicated about Melchizedek is he is uh, this, this character that comes from outside that has this uh, eternal picture. There is, to be clear, a lot of mystery about that, right? Uh, the Israelites don't exist yet. So he, he's not a part of the people of God in that way. And yet he's described as uh, a priest of God most high. So there is God working in these mysterious ways 
there's a lot that we do not understand, but the picture here and the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is he has this, uh, this eternal uh, characteristic, this, uh, this eternal picture. And that and his resemblance of Jesus is uh, referenced in these two quotes in this chapter, but they also happened earlier in Hebrews of Psalm 110, verse 4, that he is a priest forever. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that, uh, that psalm and a, a fulfillment of actually who Melchizedek is. That Melchizedek is, a, is pointing to Jesus. We'll talk about more about that in, in a second. But what is being reminded here, reminding us, the writer is doing this, is that this promise uh, is, is better than what they're tempted to go back to. They're tempted, they are, as things are not going well for them, right? Uh, we, we talk about this every week. The Hebrews are in this place where they have had their property plundered. They might face death in the near future because they are followers of Jesus. So it is not going well. They are not uh, experiencing their best life now. They are not experiencing uh, health and wealth from following Jesus. It, it is not this, oh, I love God and he gave me everything that I wanted, right? They are experiencing real difficulty. They are, they are sacrificing for following Jesus. And when things are going this way, they are tempted. They're having a crisis of faith, right? Um, and, and we might, in, in this moment, be able to, uh, to sympathize with that, right? Crisis of faith, things not going as they should. They were tempted to go back to the priesthood. Again, that's not where we're tempted to go. We're tempted to find hope or justification in other ways. But the writer here, regardless of what our temptation might be, is saying, don't go back. Don't go to something else. Jesus is better. And Melchizedek is mysterious and great and mighty and powerful, and he's only pointing to Jesus, which is going to be our third point. But uh, we regularly have this tendency. When things aren't going well, we think, okay, when things were going well, what was happening? I want to go back to that. Or, or we think about history, and we want to go back in history to when things were good. You hear this idea of the golden age, going back to the golden age. We can think about it in context of many things. Things are not going well these days, just culturally speaking. We talk about it a lot, right? The polarization, the conflict, the, all the things that are happening. We lament where things are. But we would be mistaken to say, we just need to go back to a different time. And one of those things that regularly comes up, we just go back to when things were easy and moral in like the 50s and 60s. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of people uh, that wasn't the case for, right? So maybe as a white person, you could say that. Uh, and you'd be wrong, because it's not good for you either. Um, we think about uh, maybe a, a less uh, significant um, example would be, you know, we go back to the, I don't know if you've flown lately. It could be messy. Uh, lots of uh, delays and, you know, packed in and all of that. Um, go back to the golden age of travel, of uh, a flight, right? Uh, I, I read a little bit about it. You know, it was one only for the elite, for the really wealthy, particularly businessmen traveling. Um, and, uh, and in the beginning, it was also before jets. They, they couldn't get above the weather, right? So uh, you could fly like 10 or 12,000 feet, and the bags in the seats got used a lot. Um, and then even once jets came, uh, I remember a few years ago when I first read about this, it's just it's crazy. There were like hijackings like crazy. They happened all the time on flights. 
I mean, people would pack and plan in case their flight got hijacked and diverted to, to Cuba. Um, so uh, there, we, we constantly do this. Oh, if it could just be... What we, what we realize is, what we should realize is, we want justice and peace, shalom. We want things to be made right. Going back is not the answer. And what we find uh, here from the writer of Hebrews is the answer actually is Jesus. And that comes to us in the midst of remembering what Jesus invites us into. We do have to sit in this place of remembering that what he's invited us into is sometimes difficult. So that when the difficulty comes, this, this thing that is happening to the Hebrews is, is actually, uh, throughout the New Testament, is expected of the people of God. Jesus himself says in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is incredibly anti-self. It, it, it pushes hard against my own desires, and it's certainly against our culture that would say, never deny yourself. Never deny yourself. Be true to who you are. And, and what we find here is something dramatically different. That, that is a, a starting point at which we need to understand. And, and yet, in the midst of that, even in the midst of denying self, even in the midst of things not going well, Jesus is better. What is offered by Jesus, even with the denying, even with the struggles, it is better. That's the last point. Jesus is better still. He's like Melchizedek in some ways that really matter, particularly in the eternal aspect. So the quote from Psalm 110, verse 4, twice, verse 17, verse 21, Jesus is a priest forever. We, we see that there is uh, that same theme that his life is indestructible, verse 24. It's a reference to the resurrection. Jesus died, but then he rose from the dead. His life is indestructible. So his priesthood does not end. It goes on forever. And, and this is, is, is great hope for us because he is perfect in every way. We see in verse 26 that he's sinless. It actually says it in multiple ways. Let's see, verse 26, for... Um, he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. He is perfect in everything that he does. So as a priest, the one who intercedes for us, the one who offers sacrifice, which we see is himself. We're going to get more in detail on this later in Hebrews. But he himself is the sacrifice, the ultimate and final sacrifice. He's the priest and the sacrifice. But he, he offers the sacrifice in perfection. So priests before... They would die, and you get a new priest. And that, that was probably good, right, because the priests were sinful. And so you get a little new blood in there, right? I mean, we, the, the, we, are, we don't use the term priest because we don't operate in our circles, right? I'm a pastor, not a, not a priest. Um, but imagine a pastor for 400 years. Like, I, I have loved being here 10 years, longer than we've been anywhere, and I hope to be here another 10-plus years, right? Uh, I don't know what will come. Probably year 50, 60, you might, might start looking for some new blood, right? Uh, certainly year 400, 500, it's time for a new pastor, right? Uh, and that was certainly true of the priests as well, but not so with Jesus. In all of his perfection, and then his exalted state that happens in verse 26 as well, right after noting his sinlessness, he is exalted, so that he now lives and intercedes for us. 
Here's, here's what is happening with this, this story of Melchizedek. It's reminding us that all of Scripture, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, it's all pointing to Jesus. Melchizedek is mentioned in those short few verses in Genesis 14. A thousand years later, David mentions Melchizedek saying there's going to be one that's going to come uh, and be in the order of Melchizedek, a priest forever. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that. This is the story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 24. He's walking with disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize who he is. And yet he opens the scripture and he, and he teaches them how all the scripture points to him. Acts 8, 35, 18, verse 28, the, the apostles preach from the scripture, which at that point is only the Old Testament, and they preach to how it points to Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all of it. He is at the center And so now as we read it, we can go back to Genesis chapter 14 and the rest of Genesis and Exodus and all the Old Testament. And we see it in light of what we know is true now. It's like rewatching an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, You know, you you go back. I'm not going to. Some of you are saving the sixth sense, which is probably still his best one for your kids. I won't give it away. But if you go back and you watch it and uh, you watch the interaction that Bruce Willis's character has with different people in the movie. You see it in a totally different light because you know the end, right? You know what's happening. And uh, it's a part of a story that Shyamalan wrote. And what we find throughout God's word is that it is a story that he wrote that is real and true and that we're invited into. But he knew the end in the beginning. He knew the end. And, and we see hints of that in we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. John 1 starts with, in the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus. Uh, it goes on to explain that. But in the beginning, for all of the hearers of the Gospel of John, would have, would have heard that in light of Genesis 1, which starts with, in the beginning. It's all about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it all. So we see all of it in light of him. And it's this beautiful picture that he is, uh, is the fulfillment and he is better. He's the guarantor of a better covenant, verse 22. He's sinless and exalted, and he saves, verse 25 is this just beautiful picture. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here's the picture. Jesus, in all of his glory, in all of his eternality, in all of his being the center of everything, he intercedes for you and for me, and he doesn't stop. That means he is right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. That is way better than anything that happened before, way better than the old covenant, way better than the high priest, way better than Melchizedek, way better than anything else that we might pursue now. Jesus interceding, caring about you, and we talked about this now a few months ago, caring about each of us in all of our particularity. Loving us, interceding for us so that we would have relationship with him, so that we would have justification, so that we would live as we were created to live. That is what is on offer through Jesus. Better than anything else on offer. And we're invited into it. This big, awesome, amazing story. Jesus is absolutely better.